church. If you have your Bibles with you, would you open the Word of God up with me to the book of Mark, Mark chapter 10, Mark chapter 10. The book of Mark is a biography about Jesus, his time on earth. It is a biography about the gospel, Uh, Mark, second book of the New Testament, so in the second half of the Bible. Mark chapter 10, Mark chapter 10, Mark is one of the, is the earliest gospel we have, um, written just a few years after Jesus walked the earth, died on the cross, and rose again and ascended into heaven. Mark chapter 10, Mark chapter 10, and uh, as you finish up turning there, would you bow with me as we pray over this time together? Father. Father, the, this, this congregation has gathered together in the name of Jesus. Father, they, they want to hear. Um, they want to hear about Jesus. They want to hear about how good He is, how good You are. And Father, they have a sinful pastor who's who's trying his best to to reveal something that is that only truly you can reveal to us. So Father, we stand at this precipice, we stand before your word, and we want to first admit that we desperately need your Holy Spirit to reveal the truth, the goodness, the mercy of the God that we serve. So Father, we ask that you open our hearts. Father, we ask we ask that we just hear from you today. And Father, may we see. Father, I just feel that this is just a, it's a, I feel the truth that this is an impo- impossible task for someone like me. Father, please, for my brothers and sisters and for those here today who, who are not following Jesus, may we see clearly how good you are, how gracious you are, how free the gospel is. Father, may we bask in the glory of It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Mark chapter 10. So big number 10. We'll be in little number 13 in just a moment, but I need you to help me out with something real quick. All right, let's let's keep all this to ourselves, okay? Uh, He'll be here second service, um, so don't go talking about him. Um, I've got a, a, I need your help. My one-year-old Judah is just not pulling his weight around the house. Now again, you're going to see, you might see him in passing today, so just don't bring it up. Don't bring it up. A lot of tension between he and I. You see, I do all this stuff for him. I do all this stuff for him. I love him. I feed him. I clothe him. I read to him. I even, get this, I even change his diapers. Yuck. Yeah. And he just refuses to contribute. Listen, he won't even help me file my taxes. 
He won't, he wouldn't help you. We had that big snow. He wouldn't even lift a finger to help me clear the driveway. Isn't that terrible? He won't even write my sermon for me once in a while. I think I'm, I think I might have to kick him out of the house. What do you think? What do you think? You think I'm a lunatic, don't you? You think I'm an absolute lunatic. Now, Jordan, that's not how being a father works. That's not how being a father works. A, a father loves his child not because of what they contribute, not because of what they can earn from me. A good father loves their child because he loves their child. A good father does good for his child because he is a good father, not because the child has earned his love. One-year-olds can do absolutely nothing to contribute to our family other than being really cute. And that is, in my mind, that is one of the most beautiful pictures of the Gospel. That in the same way, in the same way that a good father does not require or expect an infant to contribute before he loves them, in the same way, God the Father, Christian, loved you before you ever did one good act? Before you knew He even existed? He loved you. And He saved you. That the grace of God, the mercy of God, comes to you without you lifting a finger. And if we don't realize that, we miss the gospel. And I love this passage. It's just a f- three short verses that encompasses the gospel, our desperate need for a Savior, and how much grace and mercy is poured out on sinners like me without earning, without lifting a finger to contribute to our salvation. It is given freely. Let's read this together. Let's rejoice in this together. Mark, big number 10, little number 13, it goes like this. And they were bringing children to Him, to Jesus, that He might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. We've heard that. The disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, He was indignant and said to them, Let the little children come to Me. Do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And watch this. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Is there not a better picture of the gospel? I mean, what a beautiful picture. I love that last verse. May that, may that last verse just, just 
ride with us in our car home and, and sleep in the bed next to us and, and sit next to me as I eat breakfast. May that be the picture. Jesus Christ, creator of the universe. The, the stars are in His hands. Kings rise and fall at His whim. And He stoops down to pick up this child. And so the, the issue that we see, Jesus is preaching, crowds are coming, He's the most famous person in the land, everybody's talking about Jesus, we've seen Him do incredible things. And so He's teaching again, and the Greek there shows us who's bringing these children. Dads are bringing their children to Jesus. And Luke gives us insight and, and some more insight into who these children were. Luke calls them infants. So maybe they were children, but, but the, the, many of them were babies, were one year old, younger. The idea is couldn't crawl, couldn't do anything for themselves, were being brought by their parents. I can understand the draw. I hear there's a spiritual, God fearing man who has. Fed 5,000 people out of his hands. He's healing the sick. I, could know, I know that in my heart. I want what's best for my kid. Perhaps my kid is sick. What am I going to do? Or better yet, what am I not going to do to try to heal my kid? Maybe that's what's going on here. Or maybe they just want to be blessed. They want the best for their child in their life. And so they're going to take their child to this holy man that might be the Messiah. And so these dads are pushing and elbowing their way in, out of this big crowd trying to get to Jesus as Jesus is teaching and the disciples are playing the bouncers. They see these dads coming. And they go, no, 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 no. What do you think you're doing? Listen, don't you understand who this guy is? He's the Messiah. He don't want to touch your baby. Listen, buddy, you just turn right around. You could be in the crowd, but listen, Jesus, his time is precious. There are, look around, there are adults in this crowd. Jesus is the Messiah. The disciples have this idea that Jesus, they're still grappling with it, even though Jesus says, No, I've come to die on the cross and rise again for the sins of of many, even though Jesus spells out the Gospel, these guys still have it in their mind that Jesus is going to be some Rambo Messiah to kick the Romans out. So they're saying, look around. He's got adults to deal with. We don't have time for a baby. A baby can't swing a sword. This time's too precious. We saw last week, Jesus continues to have difficult conversations with the religious leaders, with the preachers and priests and all these guys. He continues to have difficult conversations with religious leaders who hate them. So the disciples might be saying, hey, we got Pharisees over here, we got scribes over here. Jesus has to, has to convince those guys to get on board. He doesn't have time for a little baby. This crowd is filled with potential wealthy benefactors. Perhaps this crowd is filled with demon-possessed, the sick and the lame. Those guys could come and show Jesus' power and then everybody else could get on board. And Jesus doesn't have time for babies. 
the disciples, stop, turn around. Jesus is not going to waste his time with children who can't vote, can't swing a sword, can't financially contribute. Who knows if they will even survive the year. Many of them won't. Many of them, they're thinking, these kids won't even live to see Jesus ascend to the throne. You see, kids are messy. Kids are into jokes. Kids are into playing. Kids are into silly things. And and God is serious business. These kids don't even know the prophecies about the Messiah yet. They can't even read the Torah. The first five books of the Bible. Kids are needy. Kids don't contribute a single thing to the nation. In fact, there's a great, I say great, tragic letter that we have uh, around the time Jesus was born. Uh, This letter, the the husband, the father, sends a letter across the seas to, to his wife who is pregnant, and he suspects she's already given birth. And so this kind of shows you, this letter shows you how children are, are, how they're viewed in, in the ancient world. He writes to his wife and, and he says, if the child was a boy, keep it. And if the child is a girl, cast her out. This was a culture that would leave unwanted babies on the side of mountains. And with maybe too much pride, I don't know, with pride, Christians in the early church would go scoop those babies up. Isn't that something? Listen, Jesus only has 24 hours in the day to stir up this rebellion against the Romans. You've got to be smarter with your time, Jesus. You're a busy man. And so we see this is going on in Jesus as he's teaching. I mean, maybe he's mid-sentence. He looks at him. And he's infuriated. He's not just frustrated. He's angry. He's angry. This infuriates Jesus to see these children blocked from His presence. This infuriates Jesus because the heart of God is always bent towards the lowly. Always. The heart of God is always bent toward the suffering. It's always bent towards the mourning. And those who Others cast off. We see this all throughout Scripture. Jesus is indignant because He is God in flesh. And we know that God loves the lowly. Psalm 138.6 For though the Lord is high, He regards the lowly, but the prideful He knows from afar. James 4.6 tells us, but He gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Block those children. I want to give my grace to those children. Those, 
Those children are precisely the people that I want to bless, that I want to pour my grace out to, that I want to bend down and scoop up. Those children are the ones that have my heart in a special way. Those humble kids. We see when Jesus tells parables. The parables are stories with a point to tell us about the kingdom. About God. When Jesus tells us parables. Or when He interacts with people. It's the poor, the lowly, the weak who are the heroes of His story. Samaritans were looked down upon by everyone in Israel. They were considered worse than dogs. You could murder a Samaritan and get away with it if you were a Jew. And Jesus makes Samaritans the hero of some of His story. Jesus tells us a parable and He uses a man named Lazarus. Lazarus was a dying beggar outside the gate of some rich guy's house. Lazarus was so pathetic, he had sores all over his body and the stray dogs would come and lick his sores. He couldn't get rid of these dogs. You could not think of a more pitiful person. And Jesus tells the parable, this weak, poor, miserable man experiences paradise with God. We see John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin. Jesus says is the greatest man who ever lived. The greatest man who ever lived lived one of the most humble lives. He lived out in the desert somewhere. He wore camel's skin. He wore camel hair and he ate bugs. Jesus, Son of God, was born in a feeding trough surrounded by beasts and dung. And when Jesus arranges His church, His emphasis is on humility. His emphasis is on being lowly. Elders and deacons must be gentle. Not after selfish ambition or vain conceit. Spells out lowly. The leaders of the church are to be lowly first and foremost. Before they can be good preachers, before they're good administrators, be lowly. He tells us in the New Testament, he establishes his church. He says, Church, seek to live quiet lives. It's a verse for Facebook if I've ever heard one. Seek to live quiet lives. Always consider others higher than yourselves. The first shall be last last shall be first. This is the heart of God. This is how He's arranged His church. This is the ministry of Jesus. This is the focus. The focus is on the lowly, the humble. God's heart is especially pulled toward the helpless, the childlike. Waste of time. There's no place that Jesus would rather be. There's no group of people that Jesus would rather be with. And so he's indignant because that's just not the heart of God to cast away, to push away children. I mean, you can imagine Jesus is going to bless them. He's going to change their lives, be blessed by the Messiah, the Son of God, God in flesh. Your life's going to go, it's going to be a great life. you blessed by the Son of God. The disciples are trying to stop that. So you're going to, Jesus is going to be indignant. But he's also going to be indignant 
Because it's almost like they're claiming those who Jesus loves are lesser people. They'll be worthwhile in 18 years, or 13 years, or 15 years. But I think Jesus is indignant also because the disciples still don't understand the Gospel. Jesus is going to tell them. Disciples, what you rebuke in children as worthless, Jesus says is necessary for salvation. The very things that the disciples are rejecting these kids for, the very thing that they rebuke is necessary for salvation. They still don't get it. After ten and a half chapters. Now what this does for me is it makes me feel a little more encouraged that I'm a knucklehead and it sounds like the disciples can be knuckleheads, so there's hope for me. That's encouraging, but it made Jesus indignant. Because Jesus came to freely give salvation to those with childlike faith. Verse 15, He says, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And so again, what the disciples rebuked in the children is necessary for salvation. Like the infants brought to Jesus, we contribute nothing to our salvation. That's the point here. They are infants, Luke tells us, carried to Jesus, babbling, drooling, sleeping. They are in every sense of the word, undeserving of a blessing from God. They are unimportant to the world. And they have absolutely nothing to their name, and yet Jesus loves them and blesses them. Because that is how God works. His grace and His mercy are poured out exclusively on people who have nothing to offer Him. And Scripture tells us that we are even worse off spiritually than the infants. Yeah, the infants can't contribute anything. But they're alive. Paul, the Apostle Paul tells us in his letter to a church in Ephesus, he says this, while we were dead in our sins and transgressions, God made us alive in Christ. As we are in need of, desperate need of a Savior, not only can we not contribute anything, it's even worse than that. We're not just infants who can't contribute. We are six feet underground dead. We cannot do good things to earn salvation from God. He says, you're dead. We were dead in our sins and transgressions. 
Romans 3 will continue this theme. Another letter to a church, and Paul says, no one seeks God. And so, so God's grace is this. You have done nothing, Christian, to endear yourself to God. You are, not a, even a, you are not even a cute little baby. You are dead in your sins and your transgressions. And in God's grace and mercy, He made you alive in Christ. What can dead men and women do? Can't seek God. Can't do righteous things. Think about the grace and mercy of that. Pour it out for you. You're saved. He, he does it. He does it all. He doesn't expect anything from you. Isn't that freeing? He loves you because He is loving. He's a good father to you, Christian, because He's a good father. Not because you deserve it. Romans 9.16 says it this way. It's beautiful. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, working hard, but on God who has mercy greatness your salvation is not dependent on your will i want it really really bad i'm gonna try really hard to be a righteous a good person it's not dependent on your will i'm gonna work hard at being a good christian it's not dependent on your exertion it depends on the mercy of god amazing and so Jesus says, you don't get it. I'm, I'm indignant because you still don't get it, disciples. You still don't understand. If you try to receive the kingdom of God by earning it, by working hard, if that's your plan to get in the kingdom of God, you will not receive it. If you do not receive salvation, admitting you're spiritually helpless, you will not be saved. We don't depend on ourselves and then Jesus just throws something in at the end. It's all Jesus. If you do not receive salvation, admitting you have nothing of spiritual value to offer God, if you think you can buy Him off, like some corrupt politician, you will not be saved. If you do not receive salvation admitting it is purely on God's mercy, you will not receive salvation. We don't get to say, as I said, for I don't know how many years, 15 years, 18 years, I'm a preacher's kid. I'm a, good, I'm a good boy. Isn't God lucky to have me on his team? He won't have to worry about me like he worries about everybody else. That attitude was sending me to hell. And in God's grace and his mercy, he showed me how wrong that I was. He showed me that it's not God's grace and mercy. I can't, I'm not, I can't get there. Salvation is recognizing your complete desperate need for Jesus. It's recognizing that if you're going to be in the kingdom, it is going to be just because God is gracious and good and merciful. 
to be saved is to realize you're not even a baby. You're not going to crawl up there as a one-year-old baby. You're going to have to be brought into the kingdom. You're going to have to be carried into the kingdom. Even beyond that, you're going to have to be resurrected from the dead and then carried into the kingdom. And here's the good news. God is willing to do that. You're not too heavy. You're not too dead. He's willing to do that. And so what does this childlike salvation look like? I think we get a picture of it in here. I think we get a picture. Jesus freely, get out of this, but Jesus freely gives his presence to those who are unimportant. Children, Jesus, don't, don't waste your time with kids. Bring them to me. Jesus freely gives his presence to those who are unimportant. Jesus, I'm nobody special. Why would you want me? I'm not important. I'm barely hanging on. That's exactly the person Jesus saves. And he doesn't just give a voucher for heaven. Listen, we must understand this. Heaven is heaven because Jesus is there. Are you with me? If you're hoping to get to heaven because it's nicer and you don't care one way or the other if Jesus is there, something is desperately wrong. It's the presence of God that makes heaven heaven. That means if heaven was that, that closet back there and it was Jesus and me, it would be heaven. We see this all in Scripture. Psalm 16.11 says it perfectly. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. Fullness of joy. In His grace, He might give you little bits of joy here and here and here. But it's only in His presence that we have a fullness of joy. And He gives that to children. He gives that to those with childlike faith. People don't do that. What would it take for you to talk to President Biden right now? I don't think you could do it. You call somebody at the White House, you beg, plead. I don't know how you do it. You couldn't do it. His time is too precious. You couldn't do it. Jesus' presence is for you. Jesus freely gives His presence. He does not begrudgingly accept you. He's not, He says, oh, fine, i got to kiss some babies. That's what, that's what politicians do. That's going to look good on the front page of the newspaper. No, Jesus doesn't begrudgingly. Do not, what are you doing? Do not stop them from coming to Me. Let them come. Let them come. Like a good father coming home from a long day's work is excited to see his kids waiting for him at the door. I love that. It's my favorite thing. Like the good father in the parable of the prodigal son. Prodigal son says, Dad, I wish you were dead, but since you're not, give me all my inheritance now. I'm going to run off and, and blow it in the red light district of the town and party away. And the good 
father is not begrudgingly thinking, I want to get back at that son. He's pacing outside the home, waiting for his son to come back. And as he sees his, his sinful, nasty son coming down the lane, he runs to embrace him, throws his arms around him, and kisses him. That's God's picture for you, sinner, me, sinner, our relationship with him. He doesn't begrudgingly accept you. Sometimes we think that we're going to get into heaven, but it's going to be some loophole. You ever feel that way? Like some fine print finally gets us in, but God's like, well, I'm not crazy about it, but what can you do? It's paperwork. He does not begrudgingly accept you. So, His presence is freely given to the unimportant. So, self-importance can keep us from the kingdom. I'm surely saved, self-importance says this, I'm surely saved because I am a somebody to the world. God is not impressed with anyone but Jesus Christ. Do not think of yourself as somebody, but a nobody who desperately needs somebody to die on the cross for your sins. What does this salvation look like? What does this salvation look like for the childlike? Jesus freely gives the kingdom to those who have nothing. He freely gives the kingdom to those who have nothing. Kingdom of God. Kingdom of heaven. He gives the kingdom to these children. Listen to what He says. Listen to what He says. Let's read verse 14 again. But, then, but when Jesus saw it, He was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to Me. Do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Belongs. They own it. Do we understand that nature of heaven and the kingdom of God? Christian, you are not just a citizen, although you are. It is yours. All things are yours. Like we said at the very beginning, if He gave us Jesus, how will He not also give us all things? And the answer is yes. The kingdom belongs to, to those with childlike Faith. Now, quick commercial break. Something I find very soothing is that many theologians see here, along with many other places in Scripture, that when babies die, they go to be with God who loves them. Miscarriages. Abortions. When babies die, they go to be with the God who loves them. Now, part of me wants to unpack all of that. But, if you have experienced this, and many, if not most of us have, at some level, miscarriage, maybe you've had an abortion, maybe all these things. And you're, can you imagine having an abortion and then coming to find out that God is against that and that that is a grave sin? Can you imagine? But here's the good news. If that is you, God's mercy and grace is poured out on that child. To such belongs the kingdom. 
He freely gives the kingdom. The kingdom belongs to those who are like these children. What do these children have? And, and the picture is the disciples are going, we've got to kick the Romans out, put Jesus on a physical throne, have His government set up, and then we could take over the world. There we go. That's the kingdom. And Jesus says, no, the kingdom belongs to those kids. Those kids have nothing, Jesus. That's exactly who the kingdom belongs to. We love those movies where the poor guy or girl is living life and they're, you know, they're, they're poor and they're, maybe they're a young college student or something. We love those movies where they're miserable and then all of a sudden some great-great-grandfather died and then somebody from England comes over and says, you're, 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 the, you're the true king. And here's all the, We love stories like that. We love stories like that. Only for us, it's the same for us, but it has nothing to do with our family tree. God says, that one is mine. That one is an heir to the, to the kingdom. What do they have, Jesus? Is it in their DNA? Are they your fa- on your family tree? No. It's because I pick them out of my grace and my mercy. I've chosen them. He has given us a kingdom so... Given those children... It's got to be grace, right? We've got to see the grace and the mercy. This child has nothing. They're probably poor families desperately bringing their kid to Jesus. And you can kind of see it. There's no, this is not how things work. I mean, you don't go bring it to Jesus like he's going to make him wealth. Who knows what the parents are thinking? They're, they probably don't have their theology right, to, but they bring it to Jesus. Jesus says, yes, bring me that child who has nothing, who is nothing. This is who I've come to be with. People like this. He takes them and he says, this little child that came from some slum somewhere will inherit the kingdom of God. A kingdom so wealthy they use gold to pave the streets. Like gold is nothing to the kingdom of God. It is just a brick kingdom so wealthy. A kingdom so peaceful that lions lay down with lambs. A kingdom so joyful they will never be crying or mourning again. A kingdom so powerful that all its enemies are cast out forever. A kingdom so life-giving there will be no death. And a kingdom so happy that the party never stops. That kingdom belongs to them. And that kingdom belongs to you. You are not born into this country as if it's your birthright. You do not inherit this country as if it's in your family tree. You do not conquer this country like you're an invading army. You are not voted into this country like you're a president. Jesus gives it to you. So if we have nothing of worldly value, that's who God wants. So, as wealthy Americans, the poorest one in this room is wealthier than 99% of human beings throughout history. So, as wealthy Americans, we hear that and we go, eh. We read things that show that wealth can keep us out of the kingdom. We read things like Luke 6.20, Blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of God. That's what he's talking about here, right? Blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of God. 
We hear Jesus in Matthew 6, do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth, or on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. And we're going to see next week, it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom. And the disciples go, rich people get everything. What, what do you mean? How can that be true? That's impo- then it's impossible for anybody to be saved. And Jesus says, now you're starting to get it. Nothing is impossible for God. Meaning, yeah, rich people can get saved just like poor people can get saved. And it's all a miracle because nobody deserves it. And so what we see is Jesus gives the kingdom to those who have nothing. Babies have nothing. And wealth can keep us out of the kingdom if it is an idol. Gold, greed, stuff. Because wealth can make us comfortable and say, man, I really don't need anything. And if the temptation is to take that attitude, I don't need anything, and we ascribe that, then we start to get it up toward the spiritual things. I don't need anything. I don't need anything down here. And so I need that. You've got to bring that. No, I do need Jesus. And your wealth will say, hey, you don't need I do need Jesus. We've got to preach the gospel to ourselves. We do not ascribe value to things. We value the presence of Christ. Do not be greedy for money. Be greedy for the kingdom of God. And that we get for free. Jesus gives the kingdom to those who have nothing. And Jesus freely gives His blessing to those who are undeserving. The fathers and mother bring them to Jesus and Jesus scoops them up lays his hands on them, and blesses them. What must that life of that kid be like? Jesus is not just playing fun for the parents. He blesses them. When Jesus blesses people, good things happen. What must their life be like? Certainly to be blessed by God, by Jesus, means that they will come to know Him as Savior and Lord. Surely that must mean that. What else? It might mean the relationships are godly relationships. It might mean extra courage. It might mean these little children become leaders in the early church. Who knows what it means? But the point is they receive this precious blessing from God and they don't deserve a second of it. They haven't earned it. It is given out of the grace of God. These babies have done nothing to deserve it. So we must understand, when when God blesses us, it is purely from His grace and mercy. We must understand that self-righteousness can keep us out of the kingdom. An attitude that says, I'm a good person, so surely God will bless me. I'm a good person, surely I will be saved. That's not how it works. And that attitude saying, I deserve, can keep us out of the kingdom. To be saved is to be accepted by God. In spite of all the righteous things you think you do. To be saved is to be accepted by God in spite of your sinfulness. To be saved is to be saved because God is merciful and gracious. 
Bible says it this way. Before the foundation of the world, your name was written in the book of life, Christian. You didn't do one thing to earn it. His grace was there before the world even began. And I think we get verse 16, I think is a beautiful picture of the Gospel. Let's read it again. And He took them in His arms and He blessed them, laying His hands on them. That's the Gospel. Jesus picking you up is the Gospel. Jesus carrying you is the Gospel. Jesus coming to you like you were some infant, and even worse than that, like you were six feet in the ground. Jesus coming, raising you spiritually from the dead and giving you the kingdom, giving you His presence, giving you eternal life. Why? Because He is loving and He is gracious and He is merciful. That's the picture. I'm asking Mallory, let's show you, let's see if this works. Here's the picture of the Gospel. Hey, buddy. Hey, buddy. You go see me? Hey, pal. Yeah. Hi. You want to come up here? You're going to cry? You're not going to cry, are you? See? See the church family? Look at everybody over there. I love you. I love you. You're doing a good job. Picture the gospel as Jesus coming and scooping up a kid like this. He didn't know this. He doesn't know what's going on. He hadn't earned this. He hadn't done a single righteous thing in his life. And the picture is a loving God who loves him because he's loving. Who loves him because he's a good father. Scooping him up, hugging on him close, and blessing him. And that's a picture of the gospel. That's God's love for you, Christian. He has given it to you. It's yours forever. Our job is to bask in the glory and the goodness of our God who has picked us up. I'm asking the worship team to come up. Maybe you do a good job. Now don't clap. You might scare him. Maybe you do a good job. Good boy. I'm asking the worship team to come up. Christian. Christian. This picture should be so freeing to you. It should be so freeing to you. When you sin, your Father loves you. When you sin, your Father loves you. You're in His arms. He has you. Non-believer. Non-believer. This is God's offer to you. Despite your sinfulness. Despite your attitude. God offers salvation to those who Jesus says repents and believe. Repenting is just saying, I need someone to pick me up. I can't do it. And hearing the good news and accepting that Jesus is there to lift sinners. We call you, this church calls you today, sinner, be a sinner like me, saved by grace from a gracious Father. Would you stand with us and sing together?